here we go. Monday night. You know that's time. It's time for Iron Sports. True Oldies Channel. Uh, Mike Balsamo. Going to be a great show tonight. Iris in studio. And Ira, you, for your standards, had a very tame week, catching your breath for maybe the last month or so. What'd you do this week? Still just saw Miami Dolphins, a, a big win against the Cleveland Browns. And now, you know, it's like they they look so good and people just aren't buying them yet. But yeah. I was there in person, saw them. They look amazing. I'm telling Chua's you. Chua's in the MVP discussion. It's, I don't think he's going to win, but he has to be in the discussion, right? But the thing about the Dolphins now, they have the running game. They, that was the thing we're missing. Wilson and Mostart are perfect. And the way they attack the line, there's no Lavian Bell dancing. Like, when they get the ball, they go forward. And then Tua is this orchestra conductor. He looks and, he, you know, whether it's Hill, if you want to cover Hill, do you want to cover Waddle, he'll find someone. They, he's working around everyone. It is tremendous. He's the perfect quarterback with a, with a great coach and their offense. Now we've got to get the defense. It improved. Bradley Chud, if Chubb, it looked like he played really well in this last game. I mean, he's getting his feet wet. It had, had I think, a half a sack. I think we gave him a half a sack. But um, I think if the defense steps up, but they have a month and a half to get their defense going. So Everyone thinks the cold weather is going to freeze them out in Buffalo. And well, they, you know, if they keep winning, they're, they're leading the division. So it, under that scenario, yeah. people are going to come down here. <laughs> so when you're down, anybody who knows when they're, up in, when they're up in Buffalo and it's zero degrees and then you come down here, you get too hot in January. So maybe they'll be, they'll be too hot to come down rather than the other way around. One thing I will say about the defense, and this is a pretty good stat, they haven't allowed a 100-yard rusher yet. 100-yard running back. They have allowed two quarterbacks to do it. But that's pretty good. I mean, even yesterday, Nick Chubb is one of the league's top running backs. Pretty much shut him down. Um, Don't forget, at Ira on Sports, follow Ira anywhere around the world. Go on his journeys with him. Live vicariously through Ira. Mark Salter joins us right about 7.40. Tell us about Mark. Uh, Mark Salter wrote a, a book. Uh, we don't usually have fiction writers on. So we had John Feinstein, who wrote a fiction book one time. But this book is going to be, we think, going to be like the next Friday Night Lights for college sports. It's a great book. It's being shopped for the movie. So I'm having, you know, Mark lives right around here in Jupiter. Heard about him. He's friends with a lot. He played football. And a lot of, has a friends in the football with a lot of football coaches and everything. So excited. The book is great. And I can't wait to bring him in and talk about it because I think it brings up a lot of topics in college football that we discuss in just without a fiction book, but really in real life. So we'll get to uh, that later. Also NFL and plenty of other uh, sports from around the world. Let's start with college football, though, Ira. And there's not that much season left. <laughs> we're, we're getting down to it, and that's why we want to leave Final off with three this. weeks coming up. That's it. So tell us about where we stand right now. Well, in, going in into this weekend, we had, I feel like, 11 teams had a chance to win the championship. And then we had, in the SEC, we had Georgia. Who had, you, to me, if unless you have two losses. Now, we're going to throw, put LSU aside, because LSU has two losses. And if they beat Georgia in the SEC title game, they would potentially get in. Yeah, the chance to. of them getting beating Georgia, after I've watched Georgia every single week, is zero. Like, they are not beating Georgia. <laughs> I don't, LSU is not beating Georgia. So I'm going to put them in another category. But the Pac-12 had three teams. Oregon, UCLA. And USC. Well, this week, Oregon and UCLA lost. So those were two of the teams. The Big Ten had Ohio State and Michigan. They have zero losses. Everybody else has two losses or more. And the Big 12, TCU has zero losses. Everybody else has two losses or more. And the ACC, Clemson, North Carolina each have a loss. And the SEC, Georgia has zero losses. Tennessee and Mississippi had one loss before this weekend, but Mississippi lost in a great game. It's weird. All the teams that lost Mississippi, the Oregon and UCLA, those were the best games of the weekend. (laughs) So like you said, you're kind of figuring out 
Who's going to go where? Irie, standing by your prediction of, of your final four? Yeah, I really think that what's going to... I see TCU losing. I think TCU could lose this weekend again against Baylor, even against Iowa State. But I think once they lose, I think USC potentially will lose this week against UCLA, Notre Dame, or in the Pac-12 championship game. Once that happens, I think it's going to be Michigan, Ohio State, Tennessee, and Georgia, the four at two SEC teams and the two Big Ten teams. Uh, I, I see that happening. I don't know. I think a lot of people now are getting more comfortable about TCU. I've watched the whole game. I mean, they almost lost that game to Texas. That first half, they scored zero points for almost the entire half. I really don't think TCU, I think TCU is going to stub their toe. They, they are they are the Minnesota Vikings of college football. I mean, they are winning every game. They're down by two touchdowns. They come back and win, but eventually it's going to come back to bite them. Yeah, the Vikings are like the, the Dolphins of the, of the <laughs> NFC. So let's start with Alabama and Mississippi. And this was a game, Ira, that I felt could have been a trap game for Alabama. I liked Ole Miss on the money line, but I really liked them getting 11 points, and that would have been enough to do it. Well, it's Nick Saban versus Lane Kiffin, and so you have the whole Lane Kiffin who was an assistant under Nick Saban, and uh, but there was, and also because now they had lost the week before to LSU, can Alabama, they haven't lost two games in a row in like a million years. So, gotcha, but, uh, and, and also, when have they ever lost three games in a year? Um, and Mississippi only lost to LSU, so there was an outside shot chance that if LSU had lost twice, Mississippi won this game, that they could actually go in the SEC title game, which probably wouldn't happen, but that was one of the things. But Mississippi was up 17-7, and they had the ball with 223 left, but then they fumbled, and then Alabama scored then, and they scored on four consecutive uh, possessions. Uh, at the end of the game, uh, Bama was up 27-24. Mississippi drove down, was at fourth and eight, uh, and, and they couldn't get a first down. And then Bama kicked a field goal, made it 30-24. Mississippi drove down again and went, you know, the, the, the theme of this weekend, I think, is going on fourth downs. Like, everyone now, and I think it made more excitement to football, because teams it's like, oh, third down, fourth down. No, no, we're going to punt. We're, everybody's going on fourth down. So I think it's cooler when people go on fourth down. And they went, Mississippi drove down again, but they had to this time. They're on the 20. It was the fourth down. and 40 seconds, 46 seconds left and couldn't get a first down. So they ended up winning 30 to 24. Bryce Young. 200 yards, three touchdowns. And a Mississippi running back is Sean Judkins. Uh, had 135 yards, two touchdowns. He's someone who is going to be in the, in the. he has another year of football playing, but uh, someone who could be in the Heisman Trophy win next year, one of the top running backs. He looks great. He lit really well against the, the Crimson Tide. So another game that looked to me like it could be a trap game, I was going to be Oregon and Washington. And Oregon, you had to have them at that high level, despite the fact they got stomped by Georgia. This is still a team that could have made the playoff up until up until Saturday. I love this game. I told everybody I knew, please bet Washington plus 12, 13, 14. <laughs> I thought this was great. And I love this game because Michael Penix, it was the two quarterbacks that were discarded from the teams. Bo Nix, they, they, they actually put Bo Nix in a car and said, please leave the state of Alabama. We do not want you here. He was a quarterback for three years for Auburn. Three-year quarterback. And they're like, we don't want you here. Leave. Now you can see what Auburn's been dealing with this year. It's been a disaster. So I'm sure they'd want. And then and Michael Penix Jr. was at Indiana. Remember Indiana during the COVID year when they were they beat Penn State, they were playing Ohio State. If they won that game, they would have won the Big Ten. They were in the mix for the college football playoff. They ended up losing that game. Penix got hurt in that game. And then the next year, he didn't play as well. Well, he played four years at Indiana. And now he left, and he's at Washington. So these two quarterbacks were having these amazing years. Penix is almost 3,000 yards, 24 touchdowns, five interceptions. Penix Jr. has 3,600 yards, 25 touchdowns, and six interceptions going into the game. And first half wasn't that great. 
great. 13-10 Washington, not that exciting. But then in the second half, no team punted the ball. The next five possessions when they started this first half, they each had touchdowns. Oregon had three, Washington had two. They had five touchdowns in 11 minutes, and they were bomb touchdowns. I mean, Oregon nicks to Thornton for 46 yards. Washington Pettix to Polk for 80. Uh, Nicks to Franklin for 67 yards. It was 31-27 Oregon at the end of three. And Washington drove down to the one-yard line, had first and goal on the one. This remember members of the, the Buffalo game that we saw yesterday. And Penix throws an interception. So what did Oregon do? They went on a 20-play, 20-play, 91-yard drive in 11 minutes. Just said, we're going to take the air out of the ball. None of this whole big things. We're not going to give it back to them. They get it. They, they, go, they go the whole way down. Nick's got hurt during the drive. So he had to go to the sidelines. He hurt his ankle. He's like, I want to come back in. But he's like limping around. And they're like debating, should they put him in, not in? They ended up, they stopped at the three-yard line, kicked a field goal, made it 34-27 with three minutes to go. So what happens? Washington gets the ball and Penix throws it to Davis, a, a 62-yard pass, 34-34, just like that. You're waiting for a drive. Now it's suddenly tied. Oregon gets the ball. It's fourth and one on their own 34 with 126 to go. And they go for it. Now, this is a tie game. Like, so unlike the Cowboy Packer mm. game, I'm going to keep remembering, they go for it on fourth down on their own territory. They don't get it. Washington kicks a field goal, goes up three. And then Oregon has like 51 seconds left. They're down three. And they almost they almost got in range for a field goal. It was crazy. It was like so similar to the, the Buffalo-Minnesota game. It ended up, Oregon couldn't get it. You know, they ended up being too out of range for a field goal. And Washington ends up winning and upsetting them. This is Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. It's seven twelve. This is the True Oldies Channel. So another team that had hopes here, Ira, thought they could have maybe made it to the playoff. 20-point favorite UCLA is over Arizona, and it wasn't to be. But, you know, Arizona comes in this game. They were 3-6. and six. UCLA is a 20-point favorite. UCLA is Dorian Thompson-Robinson, who is one of the most exciting quarterbacks in the country, who had a big game. And they also have Zach Charbonnet, a running back, who had, rushed for 181 yards and three touchdowns. But Jaden Deloria for Arizona, is he's a short guy who runs around, and it was like the longest yard on some plays. He seemed to run everywhere to try to find open receivers. And it was like, it was super exciting. And fourth and four, uh, UCLA came down. And Loria, they actually got it on fourth down. They got, got took the touchdown for the lead, 31-28. UCLA came down. They went for it, stopped. Arizona kicks the field goal. And then this, it's almost the same situation as the other game. UCLA had a minute to go, and they couldn't score. It was almost similar to the whole... I'm watching this game at like 1 in the morning, and it's the same situation that happened to watch your game, and they, they couldn't score. But it's like going for it on fourth down sometimes worked, sometimes didn't work. But UCLA's been eliminated. Oregon's eliminated. Now it just leaves USC as the only Pac-12 team left. So let's talk about uh, some of the other games we saw. Most of them not very very close. Georgia took on Mississippi State. Well, Georgia blew out Mississippi State 45 to 19. And, you know, I, we, I was at Georgia, the Georgia game last week against Tennessee. And just, I, Javon Carter, I didn't talk about him on defense. Javon Carter could play in the NFL this second. He could start <laughs> on any team at defensive lineman. He's that big, he's that strong. And he had seven tackles, one sack, one for a loss. Um, and they have two tight ends, Darnell Washington and Brock Bowers. Washington is 6'7, 270. That's a tight end who can run up and down. And Brock Bowers, those both tight ends could start on any NFL team. Like, like this second. That's how they are so good at that level. And Georgia is just, they're just rolling. They play Kentucky next, Georgia Tech and LSU. I mean, they're, I, I, I'm a, I mean, I can't wait till they play Michigan or Ohio State. They're the only teams that I think could ever beat this Georgia team. They're unbeatable. And uh, Stetson Bennett, 289, three touchdowns, two interceptions, but another just rolling away, not even making this game in close. Ohio State versus Indiana. And I think you'd said a few weeks ago that CJ Stroud should be your, it would be your Heisman. 
and he's keep he's keeping the momentum. He only going. threw the ball twenty eight times and five of them for for touchdowns. He threw for three hundred <laughs> yards. And the only problem, Marvin Harrison Jr. is maybe one of the best, is the best wide receiver in the game. It's seven catches, one hundred thirty five yards, and a touchdown. Remember, his father was in the Hall of Fame for the Colts, Peyton Manning. Um, they had six hundred and seventy yards. Indiana only had 250, like 27 to 11 first downs. The problem for, for Ohio State is Myron Williams, their star running back, got hurt. They also have Trayvon Henderson, their other star running, who was out for the game. And Smith Juinga, who's actually considered better than Marvin Harrison Jr., who was injured, did not play this. They have to get everyone healthy to go against Michigan. So the point is, can they get everyone back together? They play Maryland next week. They're heavy favorites. But their whole goal for them is in two weeks, the Ohio State-Michigan game in Ohio State. Yeah, so let's talk about Michigan. They face off against Nebraska, another game, not close. If I'm saying Stroud should win the Heisman, if he doesn't win the Heisman, I think Blake Corum should win the Heisman. Because the, the question is, who's going to win this game? Because Blake Corum's the running back. He had uh, 28 carries, 162 yards. Now, Corum, in the Colorado State, Hawaii, Connecticut games, didn't run for much. They didn't try to pad this thing. But in the Big Ten games, he had 240 against Maryland, 133 against Iowa, 124 against Indiana, 166 against Penn State. I mean, this guy, every single game is like 150 yards in the Big Ten games. Another big win, 34-3, they beat Nebraska. And I think now next week they play Illinois. But the point is, Blake Corum is the best running back in America. And if they beat, I think the winner of the Ohio State-Michigan game, it's either going to be Stroud or Corum. And I think that person should be the Heisman Trophy winner. One final undefeated team we haven't talked about yet. It's TCU and they played Texas. <laughs> well, TCU... And that they were a seven point underdog against Texas in Texas, and it was uh, it was it was three nothing at halftime, and then it was ten nothing in seventeen three, and this is where TCU they're they're just cruising along seventeen three. There's four twenty five and left in the game, and they fumble the ball, and it was a pick and score because Texas picked the ball up and scored, made it seventeen ten. Then TCU goes three and out. Texas had the ball back, but then couldn't move on it. But again, TCU they always find it's the games are close. Um, but uh, I guess the question with Texas, Steve Sarkeesian now is a 11 for 11 in two years for them. And every time you think Texas, every time you think Texas is turn the corner, they just are. And now they're going to go to the SEC in a couple years. They get their act together because they're, this is not going to, it's not going to fly. They're not playing, going to be playing TCU in the SEC. Tennessee has been rolling offensively this season, and that continued. Well, again, Tennessee is trying to make they, – they understand that they have to look impressive. So they won 66-25, to 25, and a couple of those touchdowns were – at one point in the game was 28-24. I, I was watching five games at once, and then you turn your head a couple times, and then Tennessee can score. Uh, Hendon Hooker, 355 yards, three touchdowns. Jalen Hyatt, seven catches, 146 yards and a touchdown, and just blew Missouri out. But they have to, they have to keep – they play South Carolina and Vanderbilt. They're not going to – they cannot be in the SEC title game, that's Georgia. So they have to keep looking impressive because they want to be in the one of the four teams for the playoffs. So Colorado and USC, and USC is another team that got their eyes set on the Final Four. And everyone loves this Caleb Williams. Remember, he was the quarterback at Oklahoma for Lincoln Riley last year. Lincoln Riley takes the Oklahoma, the USC job, and he brings his quarterback with him. And he's had a great year, uh, 260 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, problem for USC in this game, they blew out Colorado 55-17, but their leading rusher, Travis Dye, got hurt, um, is out for the season, so that should hurt them in the next couple of games. But uh, um, this is, you know, this is like, one of the interesting thing is they, they, one of the big players they got, Jordan Alice Addison last year, had 100 catches for the, for, uh, um, the Pittsburgh Panthers under Kenny Pickett for 1,600 yards. He won the Blitnikoff Award as the best wide receiver. He's done nothing for USC. He's not, it's like 40 catches. Um, 
I, he's like, this is, I mean, he says Steelers all over. I'm like, I can imagine the Steelers, like, because his stock has dropped now from this year, he'll be like a second or third. The Steelers will draft him. Now they're like George Pickens. Mm-hmm. Like, the Steelers are great at those second and third round wide receivers. He just has that all over. But USC next week, the UCLA game, I've been at, I think, three of those games. I love watching it on TV. It's going to be in prime time here. So I can't wait for that game. But I, I think UCLA can beat them. I think UCLA, after losing this win against Arizona, they'll come back and they'll beat USC. Louisville and Clemson. And despite uh, Clemson only having one loss, you're thinking that they can't make it in. Clemson and Carolina are going to play there, but the winner will have well, one loss, the loser will have two. Clemson uh, blew out Louisville 31-16. DJ Ungoli came back and had a better game, but after that Notre Dame game, I think Clemson needed to go undefeated to win. Um, they play Miami, South Carolina, then they play North Carolina uh, in the title game. That's set. The ACC title game is actually set. And then I'll just jump right to the UNC Wake game. UNC won 36-24. What, what's 34? What's interesting about that game was that Derek May for UNC is a freshman. He had 31-49. We saw him against Miami. We had those huge numbers. They're saying he'll be the number one pick. 450 yeah. yards, three touchdowns. He ran for 71. He looks like Trevor Lawrence. like when, And he has nobody around him. Like They are rushing him. He has no offensive line, no wide risk. I mean, he is tremendous. And uh, it was an exciting game because Sam Hartman for Wake is actually a really good quarterback. And uh, and Wake was leading 34-33. I thought they had this game. They were driving. Hartman threw an interception. Carolina comes back, takes a field goal, and we're able to hold on uh, to win the game. But the problem with US, North Carolina, they, they had no non-conference schedule. They had like Florida AM. They beat Appalachia State by 63-61. They beat Georgia State. They got lost by Notre Dame, haven't beat anybody else. So I really think that, you know, I said, I think they'll win out for the schedule, but then they'll probably Clemson. And I just don't think that that one lost team, they're going to have to hope everyone else somehow loses. But I don't think that trumps Michigan, Ohio State loser, or, um, or the Tennessee. It's 720, Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Author Mark uh, Salter joins us at 740. And don't forget to follow Ira everywhere on social media at Ira on Sports. What are some other games that you checked out? Because I know there was one big upset over uh, a guy who's supposed to be an NFL quarterback next year, and maybe we're not seeing it. <laughs> well... I think that Will Levis play is the quarterback for Kentucky. Everyone is saying he's going to be the first quarterback taken, but his team is to, he has no offensive line, no running backs, and I think he's like a Josh Allen situation where there's like saying we, he looks like jo- he literally looks like Josh Allen. I think. I think that's where they're coming from. And of course, I wish he would stay to Penn State and be the Penn State quarterback because <laughs> he transferred out. But Vanderbilt, who had 26 SEC losses in a row, 26, they finally beat Kentucky. I watched that game. Uh, Florida beat South Carolina. Florida is turning, you know, they, they look good in that game. And the LSU-Arkansas game, 13-10, um, LSU had to win that game to make sure that to punch their ticket for the SEC title game. What's interesting about that game is Harold Perkins Jr., one of their linebackers, defensive lineman, had four sacks, was all over, was like Lawrence Taylor, like running around Sack would play great. Um, in the Big Ten, I will, of course, I watched Penn State beat Maryland 30 to nothing. And uh, James Franklin, I thought it was funny. James Franklin got called for uh, a, a unsportsmanlike conduct. He was complaining to the refs. So because of that, he, you saw he got real quiet out of that. Then he did push ups on the sideline, <laughs> which is clearly for the effect of like, look, I did something wrong. But Maryland was terrible. But to his brother, the other story with South Florida, to his brother, Talia is a quarterback for Maryland. And he has been having a good year, but not, he was terrible against Penn State. And they really, there again, Maryland was out with a lot of their players. Um, And then I really, what I think is interesting in the Big Ten is that 
the winner of the Ohio State Michigan game is going to have to play like Wisconsin or I mean Iowa, Minnesota, Purdue. All these teams have like four losses. If they're going to be favored by like thirty, you're going to have that's going to be the worst. Like I really think that the SEC and the Big Ten title games are going to be twenty to thirty point favorites in terms of these teams because the other side is so weak. I mean, it's unsh- it's a shame that Michigan and Ohio State could be on the other sides of the brackets, but that's how they set up their divisions. And uh, the Big Twelve the same way. Kansas State, uh, Oklahoma. I mean, Kansas State. Uh, um, Oklahoma State, Baylor, Texas, they all are sort of in that mix to play TCU. They take the top two teams, play each other. It's not divisions in the Big 12. What about the ACC? And then Miami. Oh, Miami. But when Miami has a win, we got to mention it. They won. They beat Georgia <laughs> Tech. It was terrible. So. 35-14, and Florida State had a big win. You know, Syracuse was so hot. Now they've lost four in a row. They lost 38-3 to uh, Florida State. And... Uh, but next weekend is going to be, I mean, this is the weekend which everybody criticizes the SEC because you have Alabama playing Austin P. Uh, Florida State plays Louisiana. East Tennessee State adds that Mississippi State. Texas A&M plays University of Massachusetts. I mean, this is um, Auburn plays <laughs> Western Kentucky. Team. Yeah, I mean, this is Missouri <laughs> plays New Mexico. So really, the, the, this, is, this, is, this is not going to be the best week of college football. Um, Georgia and Kentucky is, is Georgia's favorite by 20 points. Ohio State, Maryland, Ohio State's for by 30 points. Illinois at Michigan was going to be a semi-close game. I think game day is going to be at that, and Michigan's favored by 18. Uh, and TCU Baylor, TCU's own favored by three. That's one of the close games. Tennessee's favored by 22 over South Carolina, and then the USC UCLA game is close by two and a half. And the Miami's favored by uh, uh, Clemson is favored by over Miami by 20. So it'll be that's this. It, we'll see if we're going to get to upsets next week. The games to watch are the USC UCLA game and the TCU Baylor game. 7:24 Ira on Sports True Oldies Channel. Want to give a shout out to our friends at Edge Sports. It's performance apparel that gives you the edge to win the game. Patented wristbands, playmakers, arm sleeves, and shirts. Shop now. They're a bestseller on Amazon Prime Store and follow them on Instagram, Wear the Edge. So, NFL, you were there yesterday, got to see uh, Tua and the, the spectacle that is that Miami Dolphins offense. It was the largest crowd, 66,563, the most since they renovated the stadium in 2015, which is amazing. <laughs> and it was hot on my side of the stadium. You take the side of the stadium, which is the Brown side. I have a picture of, uh, of Jimmy Haslam, who's the owner of the Browns, who was under a lot of controversy for signing to Sean Watson and for other things, and Stephen Ross. Oh, they both, he also got in trouble for tanking too. Mm-hmm. So, and Stephen Ross. So you had two owners that were talking and they were on the field. They must've been talking for 15 minutes and Stephen Ross was wearing a short sleeve shirt and Haslam had a long sleeve shirt, totally soaked through. Yeah. I mean, it was so hot on that side. It was beautiful when the sun went down with the hot before, when the cloud went over the sun. But it's like that stadium is like, you could just, I mean, you're, I couldn't even use my phone sometimes because it was like temperature too hot, temperature too hot. But um, it, it, look, it's a great atmosphere down at the Dolphin Games now because you, the fans are into it. They love it. The tailgating before, I mean, I showed up three hours before the game. People were there. I went there because I wanted to see the Tampa, I went in the Lexus Club underneath so I could watch the Tampa Bay Seattle game. And that was fun. And, uh, you know, the, they fixed the parking a little bit better. You know, you can go over with the yellow parking and park on the other side. They open up all those spaces if you get off the turnpike. So it's a lot easier. I mean, I'm advertising for parking in Miami Dolphin Stadium, but it's a little <laughs> easier now than it used to be to park uh, at that stadium. So I give them credit for that. So what happened in this game? Because, I mean, a lot of people expected it to be a little bit of a runaway. And I mean, watching it, it was. 
Yeah, but the Browns, how about, you know, I think the Dolphins on their special teams, their kickoffs, like, you don't kick the ball and have the opening kickoff return 50 yards, and then they let them score a touchdown 7-0, and I've seen that happen. The Dolphins on their special teams, they just, like, they get, I've never, I think they're the only team that, I think they lead the league at other teams returning, like, the ball over 50 yards on a kickoff, which really should happen in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Either kick the ball out of the end zone, or don't let them run it back for 50 yards. Um, but then, it's just like, the, the, the Dolphins, on the first eight possessions, they had five touchdowns and two field goals. Their ability to even that first drive that they had, they didn't even touch. They throw the ball to Hiller Waddle. It doesn't matter. They're just throwing it, you know, and bringing in Jeff Wilson from San Francisco. And I, this is what I saw about Mostard and Wilson. When they hand it to him, and I said this earlier in the show, they attack the line and they attack hard. And the mixture of that, it's like, oh my gosh, it's coming from all directions. And their drives seem to just go and go and go. And they're fast. And, uh, and Tua is so intelligent. He plays at such a high a high pace that I love. You know, they're not huddling up. They're not thinking. They're going. What I like what the Dolphins do is that when they throw a pass, like early later in the game, they throw to Gasicki, like a 20-yard pass, 25-yard pass. When they get to the line, they don't like, okay, now they realize the defense is, they're, they're on their heels, they're rushing back, they'll just hand it, right? And that's where most are in Wilson, both on long passes, they don't call on the first count, they hand it to them, they don't substitute other people, and they're like, we're gonna run the ball. It must be in their DNA, or what the knowledge is say, when we get a big play, we're just gonna keep going at that. I think it, it makes are, sense because the team should be gassed trying to chase around Tyreek and chase around Jalen Model. So the faster you can get the ball back in play, the more advantage you have. Yeah, I mean, it was 17-7 at halftime, and then they just kept scoring and scoring and scoring. And then, you know, the Browns went for it on fourth down and didn't get it. <laughs> and then um, and then, then Finns came back, and Wilson had a 20-yard touchdown run. But it was like, but even that first touchdown they threw to Ingold, I mean, I like what Tua is doing. As much as I have uh, Waddle on my fantasy team, so I'm watching, I'm like, I think Waddle's open every single play. Like, his ability to get off the line of scrimmage when you're there at the game, it's like, if you have your fantasy, you should, he's open, he and Hill are open. Like, they could go, he could just throw it to Hill. By using the other wide receivers, he's making sure that it's. I just don't know how you how you can play defense against the, the Dolphins. Are they should score like forty points every game? They can really name their points because and Tua doesn't force the ball. Like you can see, like the game Carr or, or, or forcing the ball. Even like when Jefferson for Cousins was forcing Jefferson, mm-hmm. he doesn't have to force it to Hill at all. Hill's wide open. Waddle like there's plays Waddle's running. You're like, how do he gets open? How because everyone else is running all over the place <laughs> and that you can't. Hill and Waddle are beating their men. All they do is beat their one man. They're going to be open every play. There are plays that when Tua looks out, there's three players that he could throw the ball to, and he has to make the right call. And I think I'm telling you, Wilson and Mostar, Chase Edmonds was the running back earlier in the year, and he was sort of like, oh, look for my holes. Mostar and, and Wilson, they get the eyes. I'm trying to take pictures. I'm like, where, how do they get? They, they just, they literally, they know where their gap they're going to go, and the offensive line, we got to give them credit. Two has been sacked this month two times. Wasn't sacked at the gate at all. They're, they're, and this is what they're pass blocking and run blocking, which is amazing. So you got to respect the new young coaches that are just going for it. You know what I mean? They come into this before the season. Let's get Tyreek Hill. We'll have the fastest wide receiver combo. Bring in Chase Edmonds. Doesn't look good through four or five weeks. Send him out of town. Bring in Jeff Wilson. They, they, like, they're making moves for now. Bringing in Bradley Chubb, giving up draft picks, and signing him to an extension. you got to love it if, if you're a, a, a Miami Dolphins fan. you got to love it. I mean, you're hurt that they lost Adogo, who got injured, one of their linemen. But as you mentioned earlier, the, the Browns were the, one of the best running teams coming in. They averaged 170 yards a game. They, I think, got like 110 for the game, 105. And a lot of those were some weird at the end of the games where they Nick just Chubb had, broke a 33-yard touchdown. Right, they just sort of let him run. I mean, it was sort of like they 
were playing loose. They didn't want any big plays. But um, but again, like the defense, like there's some questions on defense, special teams. I mean, you're nitpicking right now. I mean, their offense is. Uns- I mean, this is an offensive league, and and their offense looks like unbelievable. And as long as Tua stays upright, no concussions, no nothing. I mean, he's he's undefeated as a quarterback. I mean, what's the stat? He and Jalen Hurts, both from Alabama, are 15 and 0 this year. Yeah. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and you know what are you gonna? What's it gonna take to get to the Super Bowl? You got to get to Patrick Mahomes. You got to get to Josh Allen. Bring in Bradley Chubb. You know the, the, the aggressive moves to get themselves to a Super Bowl. Bradley Chubb, I, I, he's enormous. Like when he's out there, like remember Jason Taylor when he played for the the Dolphins. Chubb is standing there. Just his physical presence. He's so tall. He just looks enormous out there. Like he can do whatever he wants. I like, and you know what? This is so I was, you know, I when you go to games, you can watch and focus things you can't see on TV. So I watch Miles Garrett a lot. Miles Garrett, you know, star player for the defensive lineman for the Browns, watching him the whole time. He he by the end of the game, he just he was bailing it in. He didn't care. Like they because when Tua throws it so quickly and he can't get through, it's like I'm I'm it's not gonna waste my I'm yeah. not wasting my time running. And they would run away from him. They'd run for he just there were times I swear he would just get in his stance, stand up, and that was his play. Like, okay, I'm gonna just get my paycheck for the game. And he's this star defensive player, but there's there's no time for him to sack the quarterback. Tua is like getting the ball out fast. And as we talked about it, everyone thinks Tua's throwing the ball 70 yards. Oh, his arm strength, he can't throw it 50 yards down. It's hitting the players in stride and letting them like, oh, to the announcer on the run, the radio goes, oh, he gets advantages because his receivers are getting yards after the catch. Well, it's because he's getting, he's throwing the yeah. perfect spiral in when they're in stride. That's the strategy. That's what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. It's working. So, sorry that he's not throwing 20 yards. He's only throwing eight before they, before they catch it. Um, Ira, it might've been the game of the season so far, Minnesota and Buffalo. Fantastic game. A little bit of lucky breaks here and there. Bills really need to be worried about their second half defense because they've been terrible the last couple of weeks. But hey, what a win for Minnesota, the other team that gets no credit. <laughs> well, I'm I'm in the stands and I like you know after the game's over, I want to see everybody shake hands. But I saw the score was 27 to 10, uh, Buffalo, and I'm like, okay, this game. Like I don't, I knew this would be an interesting game to watch. I'm like, I feel bad I'm not watching it, but it's okay. I'm I'm seeing a game live, and then. And near the end of the fourth quarter, people are like, this is a great game. I'm like, what's going on? I can't get, I'm getting texts, but I'm not getting my my internet. Like, I don't know mm-hmm. what the score is. And they're not putting it on the board. And I'm like losing focus on what's happening. But then I, of course, saw what was happening. That, um, that you know, after Buff, after Minnesota was up, down, you know, Minnesota was down 27 to 10. Uh, Delvin Cook ran 81 yards. How do you allow, from Buffalo's perspective, I mean, everyone's blaming Josh Allen for this game. Rightfully so, mistakes. But also the defense, you can't give up a, 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 a 81-yard touchdown run in the end. NFL. That's crazy. They make it 27-17. Then Buffalo went on a 13-play drive. They get a fourth and two, and Allen throws an interception. That was stupid. I mean, mm-hmm. to Peterson, you got to just kick the field goal there. And uh, Minnesota drove, and they convert two fourth downs, make it 27-23. And then Buffalo, but there's another thing. Buffalo, so it's 27-23. You're waiting for Buffalo's offense. Like, what happened? I, I watched this full fourth quarter on TV again. They had two false starts, two incompletions. It didn't even look like Buffalo's team. And that's when the Minnesota went down, and then that's when, you know, my friends are texting me. like, the greatest Catch up all time with Jefferson. It yeah, I don't was, know about that. It was good. Was it better? It was not better than Tyreek catch because that was in the Super Bowl. But Jefferson goes up with one hand, catches it with with uh, defensive back all over him mm. with one hand and caught it. But nothing could be better than Tyreek's catch because it won the Super Bowl. Like there's no that is the catch of all time. I, I, unless someone wins, unless someone catches like that in the Super Bowl, it's the final play of the what about game. David Tyree gets no credit. No, I'm saying that's the David Tyree <laughs> catch is the one. Is the catch? Yes. But he's a Tyreek. <laughs> but so they got so they get it down to the fourth fourth and one. 
Um, if anyone didn't see the game, I, everyone's been talking about it, but it's in fourth and inches, and they don't get it in, and then Buffalo has the ball. So they're, they have the lead, 27-23, at that one-inch line with 41 seconds to go, and they fumbled the snap, which crazy. is crazy. You know, people saying we should have had the safety on purpose, maybe done that, they didn't do that. I mean, and then they, but then they, the 41 seconds left, so there was time enough for, for Buffalo to come down and kick the field goal, and then in overtime, Buffalo kicks, uh, Minnesota kicks the field goal, and Buffalo comes down to try to score the touchdown, and they and Allen throws another interception to Peterson. What a game. I mean, it, this would probably be the game of the year, but, you know, Allen had had two interceptions, Josh Allen had two interceptions, you know, a fumble. I mean, a lot has to be said. I mean, going into the week, he had an an all-earner. People didn't think he was even going to play. So, and he he had a bad game. He took it upon himself. But Kirk Cousins, in a game that was, you know, he's visibly non-primetime Kirk Cousins, 357 yards, had a touchdown. Jefferson was amazing. 10 catches, 193 yards. What a game. And and the Vikings are sort of real. I mean, I've been saying the Vikings all year. I think they're going to be good. I mean, Alex O'Connell, their coach, you know, was the genius, maybe he was the genius behind the Rams because he left the Rams as the offensive coordinator last year that won the Super Bowl. Now he's at Minnesota, they're playing well, and the Rams are a disaster. And their offense is clicking for sure <laughs> in Minnesota. Another fantastic game, NFL got this one right, Dallas and Green Bay. And <clears throat> kind of bad for Dallas when you look at this. And this is a game that they could have won too. And now they're looking at, you know, the Giants, Jets, and Commanders have all beaten Green Bay, and they lost. Well, Dallas it was... 195 and zero in the fourth quarter. I can't believe the stat. 195 and zero in the fourth quarter when they're up by 14 points. Now they're 195 and one. And the whole storylines about this game with Mike McCarthy is the coach of the Cowboys, coached Green Bay for a million years, had 125 wins, won the Super Bowl with them, was fired in 2018 because he was feuding with with Aaron Rodgers and all those things. He actually has a street named after him in Green Bay. So it's great to go back and coach somewhere. <laughs> so he had all that. But again, 2014, Green Bay comes back. Aaron Rodgers Rodgers, again, thing. I've always, I said this. I said you cannot count Aaron Rodgers out. And you can't count Tom Brady out because these guys are great quarterbacks. And uh, uh, and then at the end of the first half, I thought it was weird. At the end of the end of the second half, both the Packers and the Cowboys had a chance, and they just went three and out and didn't try to do anything. And then in overtime, um, uh, both teams, you know, uh, both teams, Dallas went on fourth and three and thirty-five. They went for it, did not get that first down, uh, and letting Green Bay come down for a field goal. Thinking that, I mean, what's your think thought of it? I, I felt like their defense is we can't stop Green Bay in that position. Go for it. I didn't think it was so bad to go for it. Not kick a 60-yard, what was it, 55-yard field goal. Have you seen the Dak Prescott third down numbers? What are they? He's on, it's like a 44 passer rating. He's on pace to have the worst uh, worst third down conversion rate since 2009 of any quarterback. Not good. Especially for a team that thought they were going to make the Super Bowl. Well, I think Dallas is. I think there's issues with Dallas and Dak Prescott. I mean, again, he's starting to get criticism that maybe Kirk Cousins will. It's like, okay, you got paid this huge amount of money. You're paying a lot yeah, of money. You beat the Giants and the and the Commanders every year. Like, right, you, you know, got those are your four wins. But and I, I think that was what. Now Pollard ran for 160 yards. I mean, there was no uh, Ezekiel Elliott was injured for the game, so the Dallas actually got a good running game. And I like, you know, Green Bay, both teams did what they wanted to do. Both teams ran the ball. Cold weather, everything. I mean, Green Bay finally got their running game going. And Christian Watkins, uh, the rookie wide receiver for Green Bay, caught three touchdown passes. I had my fantasy team and dropped him two weeks ago, so I'm sort of (laughs) upset about that. But 
I, you know, it was, if you're the Cowboys, you're, you have to be upset about this game because you had the lead. And just to give it away, I mean, this is, it's just, it's super frustrating in terms of what, to, to, to blow this game. And you're waiting for Prescott to, again, to, to just take control of some of these games and lead some drives. You know, Jerry's on the phone with uh, Sean Payton right after that game. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we only have about three minutes, so we have to get to Mark Salter. What else do we need to uh, cover here? I thought the Chargers-San Francisco game was big last night. Uh, it was. Uh, uh, you have all the San Francisco, Elijah Mitchell, Deba Samuel coming back, uh, and with Christian McCafferty. This l- lineup is loaded. I mean, I, they won 22-16 over the Chargers. I thought with, I mean, wait till all the, they have so many weapons. It's, they have everything. They, this team, San Francisco, I mean, if you say San Francisco's in the Super Bowl, I wouldn't be surprised at all. And then Seattle-Tampa, uh, Tom Brady, uh, they were in Munich, so you got to see this game early at 400. You know, he, he finally threw his first interception, but he actually had, threw for 258 yards, two touchdowns. Rashard White ran the ball well for them, and the defense is coming and improving, and they shut down Seattle. People thought that offense couldn't be shut down, but they, they played well, and the only mistake they made was they tried to use uh, Tom Brady in a flea flicker, and it didn't work, and he got <laughs> called for a tripping. But it was a big deal that it was in, in, Tam- it was in Munich, Germany for the game, and uh, I think Kansas City's win over Jacksonville. People were surprised it wasn't by much, but that's what you know Kansas City does. They just win mm. games and owns throws for 330 yards. And then the game that people are talking about is the Colts versus the Raiders. Um, Jeff Saturday, former television announcer of last week, uh, coach high school, three and seven high school football coach. He goes in and uh, beats Josh McDaniels the, of, of, of the Raiders. And Derek Carr's interview uh, after the game, the, coach, the quarterback of the Raiders was I mean, so upset. But they started Matt Ryan, came back from the dead, and he actually had a 40-yard run in the game. And he's amazing. But it was like one of those things where the Raiders had their chance at the end of the game and just couldn't score. Uh, very frustrating for them. Uh, one last game is your Giants. Love it. I think the worst seven, they beat the the, the Texans 24-16 and, and all they did was hand the ball to Barkley. They just said, Saquon Barkley, and they're negotiating with him like in a contract. Yeah. Like, they just said, Saquon, we're not going to throw the ball. We're just going to, I don't know why they have Daniel Jones out there. Just snap it to Barkley and just let him run. <laughs> 35 carries, 152 yards, one touchdown, and uh, they beat the, and they're 7-2, and two, one of the worst 7-2 and two teams I've ever seen. Hey, whoa. But their schedule is going to get better. Their schedule is going to get better. Coming up. Oh, let's go to Mark Salter here on Iron Sports. This is Iron Sports, 95.9, 106.9. We're honored to have Mark Salter, uh, an author who lives now here in Jupiter, uh, who wrote a book called Sins of the Tribe. And the best way I can describe your book, Mark, is it's Friday Night Lights for college football. Uh, that's pretty pretty spot on, yes. <laughs> so thanks a lot for coming and talking about this book. And it's, it's a fiction book. I usually have nonfiction writers on this show, but it's a fiction book. But if anybody follows college football – Everything that you see comes into this. Was it was it a way for you to talk about college football in a way where you weren't really like going to get sued because you had to or do investigative research on certain things? You know, um, I guess the first thing I got to say is I love football. Love everything about football. Played college ball. Had a tryout with a pro team, uh, and yet there's there's just too much hypocrisy that's laced in any just like in any big institution. And the, the, the conflict that arises from that hypocrisy was just so fascinating to me. As a matter of fact, there's um, a good friend of mine, a guy by the name of Billy Ard, who played for the Giants for a long time. Uh, he played at Wake Forest. He read it. As a matter of fact, he's one of uh, the, my endorsers. 
He said, everything that you had in that book has happened hundreds of times. <laughs> well, it's, it, the idea about it is that, just to give a background, we're not going to go through the, the aspect of the book because I like the themes that come out of it. It's called the Bastille Tribe, which is a fictional team in Florida or Georgia. I couldn't tell what state it was really It's in, in the Florida Panhandle. Florida Panhandle, and it was this great program. And then this uh, Wally is uh, a... a, a a player, or not player, a boy, who grew up in a small town in, was it Georgia? Georgia. Georgia with his brother, Henry. And they, Wally is just an average football player, plays on a small team, but his brother has a skill, which is he can kick the ball. He's the best kicker he's ever anyone has ever seen. And one of these Bastille coaches was going through the town and got stopped at a diner, and he said, was talking to him, and he goes, you just see my brother kick? And the brother comes to the parking lot. One thing led to another. And suddenly now his dream of now, he dreamed about this Bastille. He's there as the holder because he only holds for his brother. So he went to Bastille as the holder, as a preferred walk-on, and his brother has the scholarship. Right. Yeah, his brother, and it should be noted, his brother is a special needs. And that, that's why he will only kick when, uh, Henry will only kick when Wally holds. Um, but the real impetus is, is that Bastille is this pure place. It's like what Notre Dame aspires to be. Just kidding. <laughs> um, it's what uh, it's just this wonderful pure place with this great head coach, Coach Oldham, and um, Wally comes from a very, Wally and Henry live in a very toxic environment uh, with their father, and he just wants to get out of that so bad, and he's just drawn to this place because it's so pure, and Oldham is so pure, and that's why he wants to go there so bad. Right. And he goes and that's and the idea is that he it was something that it was like unattainable. Like he I liked how you it was very Rudy like, you know, the Rudy, the whole Rudy story with the, right. uh, the movie in terms of that. He dreamed his entire life what the ideal was and and the ideal wasn't like, you know, it's like you have an ideal of what something will be you know, and you think it's like you wait your whole life to eat the, the perfect steak and it's maybe not as good as steak. So he had had this ideal of what it was and then suddenly he was there in the mix, in the room and he's meeting like the star quarterback Dion who just, you know, a couple years ago he would never thought he would say even hi to him and now they're joking around in the locker room together. Right, right. There's, um, and when he gets there, it is everything that he thought it was going to be. Um, as a matter of fact, he still never feels like he should really belong. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was a dream come true for him until the big change takes place. And the big change is that Oldham leaves the coach. And this happens all the time. How many times you hear players, they get recruited by a coach and they love the team. And then the coach leaves, the players are there and the new coach comes in and it's like, you know, a new King Rose that did not know of Joseph, you know, that type of thing. Right. And before the uh, transfer portal, there's nothing they could do about it. They were stuck. I guess, and so I think that aspect of the book, and then how how then Wally had to deal with the fact that he was, you know, sort of like Oldham's pet and how he was working with the program and loved being involved and everything. The tribe, it was called the Bastille Tribe was the name of their... The Bastille University Tribe. Tribe. Tribe forever. <laughs> tribe forever. And they were... And, and then suddenly that was taken away for the idea about the tribe and about how the tribe... And then you've weaved in so many other things about tribalism and those things about what's the, the good things about tribes and the bad things about tribes. Right. Everything's tribal. That's the conclusion that I come to. Everything. It's the strongest... Uh, dynamic in, in humanity is tribalism. Everywhere you look, everyone's part of multiple different tribes. And we talked about the idea about the college town, the college experience, and then the tribe of a college, the university. I would say that there are, the good things about it are that you can go and I go to, I'm going to go to Penn State or if you go to Tuscaloosa, or just at Auburn, I, I love going to college football games. You 
the idea we're, we're such a society that's polarizing, you know, you're Democrat, you're Republican, you're Trump, anti every rate, different races, different religions. But it seems like the unifying aspect, some of this is just sports. Like you go to these games and people don't know what everybody's like, no, we're going to root for Alabama. We're going to root for Penn state. And that bring, it's almost a unifying nature of the fact that it takes away from the other things that everybody's different with. It, it's something that they can all rally around. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. Um, and some schools pull it off well, and some schools don't. Um, so it's a real mixed bag. And then the idea about what I like is you talked about Bastille in the town. And what was the town? I forget. It's uh, Bastille. Bastille is the, the name of the town. But the idea of being a college, like State College, Pennsylvania, Auburn, Auburn Alabama, I bring that up, uh, Oxford, Mississippi. You know, these are college towns. As a, And the feel of that with a school and the dominance it plays over it rather than like USC is in LA or Miami. We were down here in Florida. Miami is university is Miami university, but it's in Miami and there's other things. It, it doesn't dominate the town of Miami. No. Um, yeah. College towns can be the most fun places in the world, especially when you have these big programs uh, that are so unifying. You could just, you know, throw on their Jersey and you're accepted upon site. Um, that's why I had the professor in there too, to really explain all these things to Wally. Right, he sort of had no idea what was the whole idea. He just he didn't he didn't he didn't put it into perspective, and sort of like the professor helped him understand right. it. Um, and then when Oldham, I, I find Oldham the coach as the most interesting character because it's like the character of like the coaches like when a Bear Bryant goes to Alabama and builds Alabama, or Paterno goes to Penn State and builds Penn State. Coach K at Duke. I mean, these are programs that were there. They did sports before they got there. Schellenberger going to Miami, like they they played sports, but they weren't this ultimate power and sort of that's what happens and you mentioned in the book Oldham was like it almost felt like he had won these national championships his program became huge but he felt like like I can't control the wave I created myself like I am the wave I'm the one who created this but I, I I'm just riding it right now I can't control it yeah that's when uh, the professor said John Oldham was a great man because he won without succumbing to the sins of the tribe <laughs> And it's different than today. You know, today we look at some coaches, like if a, like a player, a coach takes over, like a Ryan Day coach takes over Ohio State. He can't build, you know, Ohio State is Ohio State. Ryan Day is not going to step it up. And that's why I think I always put Saban in just his own category because he went, followed Bear Bryant out of Alabama and now created this, whatever they've done, you know, it's amazing what he's done at oh, Alabama. he's done at Alabama is just incredible. Just to follow a guy, like the, the fact that they were the premier college program and then to take it to another level with another coach. So that's, besides him, it's hard to think of any coach that could do something at a program that had esteemed success. And keep in mind, Alabama was always so strong. Well, it was certainly under Bear Bryant, but I think it was 92 when they, uh, under Gene Stallings, they won the national championship. Mm -hmm. uh, but then for a long time, it was there, there was nothing going on at Alabama. So when he came in and took it over, yeah, he rebuilt it like uh, Bear Bryant did. And as you know, has taken it even further. You mentioned about Oldham and also the thing that he, one of the things that he read in the book about how there was a fight before a Florida State game with fans. And he's like, we're going to be civil to our fans. We're going to treat them right. And all those, the other opponents, opponents, fans, we're going to play with a certain devil, decency, no cheap hits. We're going to, we're going to run a, not just run a clean program, but just run a clean, like when I went to Auburn, 
I couldn't believe how nice the fans were. And I'm like, I think, I said to myself, I said to other, all my friends too, I said, the Ohio State fans should come down to Auburn and learn how to be fans. Like that's, <laughs> like Alabama fans, like those, they know how to be fans. Like you're nice, like these, these are visitors. And at Penn State, I was at the game last week and they have on the scoreboard these signs, like be gracious, be whatever to your to opposing fans. I, I think it's important. And I, I think the fact that he emphasized that and that was one thing that he got credit for, it's something that, you know, you're starting to see more of in terms of like when Coach K, the famous signs of Coach K when, when, the, the Dukes fans are known for taunting and for being harsh on other players. But when it went across the line, he sometimes did grab the microphone and say, this is, we don't do it this way. You right. know, we're Duke and those things. I know some people disagree. Another great example of that is Nebraska. I've never been to a Nebraska game, but I have a good friend who played there. And uh, he said that when you go to a Nebraska game and you're wearing the other, um, the, the opponent's jersey, people will literally, you know, shake your hand, wish you luck, offer you food. Uh, it's just a wonderful, wonderful environment. Which it should be. I mean, we're all like sports. So the point is, like, I get, like, I, I, you know, talking about, like, going to the Eagles game I went to this past weekend. And uh, they, you know, when we're, my friends can't wear a Steeler jersey. Well, why can't I wear a Steeler jersey? Like, it, I hate that. I hate that aspect. Like, if someone's going to beat me over the head because I have a Steeler jersey on, that's pathetic. Like, I really think we all like sports. And also, they probably have fantasy football teams with tons of Steelers on their team. And they're right. probably rooting for it. You know, they're yeah. betting on the Steelers. You know, it's all the whole idea of this fandom where people fans just beat each other up because someone supports another team. It dri- That drives me nuts more than anything. So we just talked about the great college programs where they're very welcoming those are great tribes. And the, the, these other ones that aren't so great, that's just a different form of the tribe. And Ohio that's why, State. <laughs> that's why I have um, I had the two different coaches. Um, the, you go into about how the media covers it, and we can talk about the media from like, you know, I saw this with the Syracuse scandal in terms of how they sort of events Bayheim, you know, it's sort of a Penn State, the national media was let in, whereas Bayheim was able to control the local media. But in a lot of situations, the the, the 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 football coach has total control of what the how the local media covers the teams. Um, it's not so much now because these teams are so big that you have game day coming in that there is that national aspect of it. But that is, but from a local perspective, it's going to be always positive, positive. You're like you're not going to get access unless you write nice stories. Right, right, yeah. That's why I have the the media uh, facet was from uh, I call it Sports Inc. It was a, a national. Um, uh, a national media company, and that way that you didn't have any of the the restraints that that, that are on local media. That that would cover it, and then you also talked about you, everything is addressed in this book. The curriculum, the idea that will players have to adhere to the standards. Are they going to take the whole idea is are they taking basket weaving in school? Are they just showing up or whatever? And you know you mentioned how Oldham had a much stricter way than the new coach Castor who came in. Right and. You know, there, there's so many great programs out there where, you know, every kid who steps on a, into a Division One program has, I would say most of them, have dreams about playing in the NFL. There's so many, and we all know that there's so few people that actually make it, can make a living in, in the NFL. There's so many good programs, though, that bring these kids in and really make them uh, point out how you really need this education and there's more to life than football. Yes, you're going to play hard, you're going to train hard, but get that education but there's a lot of other places where it is it, it is basket weaving and, <laughs> um so it's a mixed bag and and but the theme the reason i had academics in there so strongly especially when it came to the professor is is that there's a uh, i just hate the fact that there's a weakening of our academic integrity in so many of these schools 
that, you know, that's what the, the school is really there for, is for the educational mission. And so many times that, that it becomes just secondary to, to uh, you know, all the other cultural things that are going on in schools. Yeah, we had talked about this off the air a little bit. I mean, I, from my experience working with college athletics, I mean, I went to an Ivy League school, so I can see what the athletes did. But the point is that I think that a lot of these programs, when you see the tutoring that they have and how they're able to make sure the kids go to class, I, I think that the students get a better education. I mean, the, the athletes get a better, better education, and they go to summer school too. So they're going year-round to school. They get a semi-better education than the traditional students that I think are just goofing off the entire time and partying and not going to class and no one's monitoring them. So I, in some ways, you're right. Some schools do it better than others, but it's like you, I think you, if you're an athlete and you say, oh, look, I'm going to go to school, you could get this great educational experience through it. You know, when I, my kids went, uh, went to college, my youngest is a sophomore right now in Florida State. Um, for all three kids, I said, when you get there, within a month, if you take 10 kids, you're going to see two uh, at, at the bottom range. They're not going to be there for the second year because they're goofballs and they're going to be partying and doing whatever. Then at the other end of the, uh, the spectrum, you're going to see uh, the other two kids that are uh, going to class constantly, studying, getting straight A's. And then there's the group in the middle that really don't know what they're doing. I said, you want to be... The, the the high achievers, and then you'll have something to do when you get done with college. And I think uh, for a lot of these programs, there is so much at stake. They put everything in place to, to make sure that these kids are at the good end of that spectrum. And then your book talks about, I mean, the, the dividing point is when Oldham dies. I mean, very similar to what Bear Bryant, like Bear Bryant, I think Bear Bryant resigned and then he died like a, a week later. I mean, the fact that that was like, I'm never going to coach another game, but their coach, he didn't resign, but he was thought he was going to be coaching and, and handed off to a successor. And then the whole idea of succession. And I just, I'm obsessed like a Duke, like when coach K, I kept thinking for the last decade, like when coach K resigns, who's going to be the next coach? Who's going to be that successor? And you, when Paterno at Penn State, like who's going to be the successor? And the idea is you hear this with Michigan, the Michigan man, where Jim Harbaugh is a Michigan man. And do you go and recruit from someone from within who understands the, quote, tribe that we have? Or do you bring someone from the outside? And in the book, they brought in Castret, this coach Castret, who was won national championships at other programs, was a media personality, but comes to this program and everything changes. And they didn't hire the assistant Dixon, who had been there, who had built, who was really part of the culture of building this tribe. Yeah, that's so it I'm mixed on that. Like it works with Harbaugh at Michigan because he's a Michigan man and he understands the values. I don't know if you necessarily have to have that, uh, that they have been from the school. But culturally speaking, you really need to make sure, forget about the, uh, of course, they have to be a successful coach. But it's how they were a successful coach is really what matters the most. And in this case with uh, the, the administration at Bastille, they didn't care. They, they had a chance to get a big-name coach that would uh, uh, you know, fill the stadium. That's who they went for. And then you mentioned when the new coach comes in, how everything changes, not just the culture, but the fact that transfers are coming in. People are – there is your, your – Dion is your star player who's a star quarterback who had the culture of the tribe, understood everything. You mentioned how when Wally and Henry went there and they were sort of – the other players were picking on Wally and Henry and Dion st started screaming it and they thought – Wally said he was thought Dion was screaming at them, and he wasn't screaming at them. He was screaming at the other players because we—that's not how we act as that's the tribe. That's not Bastille. Yeah, it's not Bastille. We don't act this way, and that was the. And when you have a leader like that who's leading the team, 
you know, that uh, with that with the culture, that means so much. You know, he's the best player on the team, and he's also has the culture between him. And then you showed how the culture not only was captured a bad coach, but the players that he brought in were bad guys. They were the the criminals and the and the, and the bad dudes that came in. Yeah, with that, it was almost. I wanted to make it almost overnight how you could just feel the room felt differently. And it's not just because Kastrit is this this uh, monster of a coach, uh, but it's also the people that he brought in. And it was the the decaying of the, the standards and the, and the virtues that Oldham had built up over the decades. And that's how quickly these uh, a tribe can change. And then you mentioned, you know, I liked when you talked, you, you developed so many characters in the book. And I, what I love about football is it is definitely a team game. You have, the, especially in college, you have a superstars. You have guys that are going to go to the NFL. They're going to be making millions and millions of dollars. They're going to go out and everyone's going to. And then you have players that are just going to be great college football players. They're going to go into college town and they're going to be on maybe at their TV network or working as a job as an insurance or whatever. And the, but they are going to be beloved for being a great player at their college and then you have guys that are just going to be on the team oh you were on that team and they're going to walk around with their their championship ring and they're like oh you played on the team and i got in a few plays and but that all has to come together to make the team and that's why i love that aspect of college football in the fact you bring all those and but everybody has to be on the same wavelength and the star has to be not so worried about playing on sunday but actually has to worry about the team aspect of it, it is it's a, just a great dichotomy with the whole thing yeah, being part of a team is, I mean, the team itself is the, the, the tribe. Um, that's why when they had the, the players-only meeting uh, near the end to try and figure out what was going on between Hunter and uh, uh, Wally, um, it, it is essence a team is a tribe. And, um, and there's good ones and there's bad ones. Uh, but then there's the larger tribe of the, the, the university itself and then all the fans. And uh, it, just to me, it, it's... It can switch so quickly if you don't watch it, especially after Oldham had spent all those decades building up the program with all that discipline and all the virtues. Uh, and then overnight, it just snapped away. And then one final question about this is that about NIL and transfer portal. Uh, the idea is that what happened in this book, really, I, mean, I know you said you wrote the book a couple of years ago. Now, if players would just transfer, they, they would be getting paid. They're the, 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 everything has totally changed. I, I'm not troubled by it at all. If a coach can pick up and leave overnight and go to a different school for more money, uh, you know, there, there's kids that go to these schools that have all these dreams. And guess what, buddy? I got a better offensive lineman than you or a better wide receiver than you. Uh, maybe there's an opportunity to another school. So uh, to me, that doesn't, I mean, think about it with Joe Burrow. If Joe, if there's not the transfer rules, no one would have ever heard of Joe Burrow because he wasn't getting on the field at Ohio State. Right. And then, you know, like if, if you're in the band and you're the best tuba player on one score, second best tuba player, and you want to go to another school to play tuba, then you can go. No one's going to make a big deal about it. Exactly. So that's my point of that gives all the flexibility. So while well, we're honored to have Mark Salter, Sins of the Tribe, Mark, uh, your book is available Amazon, Barnes & Noble, everywhere, right? Right. Bookstores everywhere. All right. Thank you very much for coming on Iron Sports. Thank you, Ira. Good stuff there. Uh, Mark Salter joining us here on Iron Sports. Big NFC East matchup tonight, Ira. The undefeated Philadelphia Eagles playing Washington Commanders have been playing decent. The line's 11 points. What are you thinking? I like Washington. You know, Me too. I, I just think that Washington, I mean, look, the Eagles, 11 seems so high for this team. And 
But Jalen Hurts, he's a great leader. He's keeping the team on even keel and everything. But maybe I don't say, I, look, I think I think the Eagles are going to win the game. But I think I would take the Commanders in 11. 11 points in a division game. When the Commanders are still in the hunt for the playoffs. Yeah. They're one of the teams. That, you know, there's a seven teams, you know, the nine, some spots out there. The Commanders are right there to, to, to get that spot. So I think they're still in the mix. Had a pretty epic UFC uh, battle on Saturday night. Alex Pereira versus uh, Israel Adesama. And Israel Adesama was the second pound-for-pound uh, fighter in, in the, the middleweight champion of the world. This was, the backstory of this was crazy. Pereira play, uh, fought Israel years and years ago in kickboxing. Pereira's known as being the best kickboxer in the world, lost twice, and has come to UFC and had only had four matches in the UFC. People are like, oh, well, he only had four matches. Israel's been the champion for a number of years, all these title defenses, and he was the heavy favorite in this, mm-hmm. and dominated the fight for the first four rounds, might have dropped a round, but Pereira in the fifth round, fifth and final round, knocks him out, which is a, it was a very exciting ending of a fight. No, it was, it was fantastic to watch. This was a good one. They had a, a good card from top to bottom there. Dana White put together. And let's wrap it up with some Formula One because this was an interesting story. Well, Verstappen, actually Verstappen has won Formula One. They're, they're, they're racing in Brazil. So he's won. He won it three races ago. But per Sergio Perez is his teammate at Red Bull and he's battling Charles Leclerc from Ferrari for the second place. So during the race they said, Max, drop back, let Perez pack you as they were six and seven. And he goes, he goes, I told you already last time, don't ask me that again. Are we clear about that? I, I gave my reasons and I stand by it. And then Perez says, thank you for that, guys. Thank you. And then the team boss, Christian Warner, goes, I'm sorry about that checkout, which is Perez's name. He wouldn't go back one position to help his teammate get that second position overall. And then there's a whole big feud afterwards. And so it's interesting. I mean, you never thought there'd be any drama. George Russell won the race uh, and, uh, and Lewis Hamilton finished second. Finally, Mercedes actually ran well. But you thought there was no interest in this. And the fact now you're going to have friction in the Red Bull team. What's your plans this week? Definitely the Steelers and Bengals I have in Pittsburgh. I'm going to that game this weekend. It was flexed out of the night of the, it was say the Sunday night game, but I'm not sure what college game I'm going to go to. Tonight, boy, we're, we haven't talked about the Heat. They're playing a big game against the Suns. If you're going to say any NBA game at this time of year is a big game. <laughs> and then next week, we'll have Jonathan Clegg on, uh, the Wall Street Journal writer, because the World Cup starts next week. And I know we don't talk a lot about soccer, but you got to get, if you love Everyone's sports. Everyone's a World Cup fan. You, yeah, I mean, this is the one. I'll be the bandwagon supporter. Oh, me I'm too. Though, and I love what Clegg is going to talk about is he wrote a book on Messi and Ronaldo and I really didn't know the whole backstory between Messi. I know that I'm supposed to know all this stuff but really between Messi and Ronaldo and how fact that they you know, are the same ages grew up against playing against each other in the league in, 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 in uh, Spain. So it's pretty exciting. Two of the best ever and their careers are starting to dwindle off. Perfect timing uh, to come out with a book kind of wrapping it all up. But we are out of time. Don't forget you can follow Ira anywhere on social media at Ira on Sports. Thanks so much to Mark Salter for joining us. He's Ira Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. Ira on Sports. Sports.